Good morning and welcome to OSU's podcast series. In this podcast, we get to explore topical economic issues and see how they affect us here in South Africa. We get to speak to experienced and knowledgeable people in the field. I'm your host, Margot G, and with me today, once again, is Professor Johannes Fedeke from Penn State University, who has worked extensively in the South African economy. Welcome back, Professor. Yes, hi, Margot. It's good to be back. Um... So you have recently completed some research on the South African-US sovereign bond spread. Could you please tell us a little bit more about this? Why did you decide to look at it? Sure. And um, in order to clarify exactly what one is talking about, when one is talking about the sovereign bond spread, one is really looking at the cost that governments face in borrowing uh, on open markets. And one is comparing the cost that South African, the South African public sector faces when it borrows relative to what another country faces. And in this particular instance, what we're looking at is the United States. And the reason we're looking at the United States is essentially because the United States or other countries such as Germany, for instance, uh, represent a, a safe asset on international markets. So it's essentially risk-free borrowing uh, that uh, therefore constitutes a benchmark against which, which South Africa can compare itself whether or not it faces a particularly high or a particularly low cost of borrowing. So to give you an idea of why I looked at this, um, uh, let me just show you a little bit of background information. So I'm just sharing my screen here. I don't know, can you see um, what I'm sharing at the moment? Yes. All right, so just to reiterate, we're looking at the South African United States sovereign bond spread. And the particular interest that ultimately we're going to land up with is the question of what the relationship of that spread is to macroeconomic fundamentals in both countries, both in the US and, and, and in South Africa. And weirdly enough, um, the entire research question actually started off in a completely different space and uh, with, a, with something that looks like a completely different question. And that was really prompted by the fact that if you take a look at the cost of government borrowing internationally at present, it is actually relatively low by historical standards. It's certainly, if you look at countries such as uh, Germany, they are effectively able to borrow at negative interest rates. And uh, a number of other countries, particularly developed world countries, uh, face costs of borrowing that are very close to zero. And that has led a number of authors internationally, and thinking here particularly of Oliver Blanchard, to suggest that the space for the public sector to be able to borrow in order to increase expenditure has actually increased. And in particular, because of the low cost of borrowing, the argument is that the uh, deficit financing of government expenditure, borrowing in order to cover the cost of government expenditure, is actually welfare enhancing for the societies in which this is taking place. So that was my initial question. I mean, is this true for South Africa? Would this condition be necessary condition to be satisfied? And it's important to realize that in order for that to be true, in order for the, uh, the, uh, the welfare impact of deficit financing of government expenditure to be positive, you need to have a positive differential between nominal growth in the economy and the long-term yields on government debt, the cost of borrowing. That's a necessary condition for this to be true. And if you take a look at the data in South Africa, so this is the second, the, the next slide I'm showing you here. 
if you take a look at the differential between nominal growth and the cost of borrowing at the 10-year uh, maturity level, uh, maturity uh, horizon, what you find is that necessary condition for the most part is simply not met. It was sort of met in the 60s and 70s, but ever since then, it's only been very infrequently uh, met, and it's only been met for very a short, period, short time period. And certainly at present, the differential between nominal growth and, and the cost of borrowing is a negative territory. So the necessary condition for the welfare impact of, of deficit financing and fiscal expenditure is simply not the case, is simply not being met in South Africa. So how do we get from this question to looking at the yield spread? Um, and the answer to that is that if you actually look at the long-term yields uh, in South Africa, if you take a look at the interest rate that government has to pay on long-term borrowing, such as 10-year uh, borrowing at the 10-year maturity window, then in fact, the long-term yields are actually relatively low by historical stand standards. So if you take a look at the 10-year government bond yield, you can see that from the 60s and 70s, it moved steadily upwards to uh, historical highs through the 1980s and the 1990s. And then since then, through the 2000s and the 2000s and teens, it has actually declined quite dramatically and it is now below 10%. Now, that is low for South Africa by historical standards, although it is not low relative to a whole bunch of comparative countries internationally. So even although uh, yields just below 10% are, are relatively moderate, for South African historical experience, it is not moderate by international standards. And you can see this very clearly if you then think about um, looking at the, the nominal absolute, uh, look, simply looking at the nominal absolute yield is actually misleading. And looking at the differential between South African, US, and German yields as two benchmark countries that represent safe international assets, then you can see that actually the spread between South Africa yields and international yields is actually not at those at all, but in fact at historical highs. So oh, wow. if you take a look at the differential between 10-year government bond yields and you uh, in South Africa and 10-year government bond yields uh, in the United States and Germany, you can see that in the 60s and 70s that differential was relatively low. It went up to a relatively high level of 10% um, in the is the 90s declined in the 2000s but since the 2000s and since 2008 it has been on a steady upward trend even more aggressively relatively to, to germany than it is to the united states but relative to both benchmark assets you can see that the cost of borrowing for the south african government has climbed to historical highs essentially to the levels that we saw in the 80s and the 90s well, so it, there's a real question, therefore, as to why is that happening? Even although the absolute level of the cost of borrowing is relatively low by historical standards, the, the, the cost of borrowing relative to risk-free uh, international assets has actually increased very dramatically. And what that means is that for the South, South African government to borrow, it's actually at historically uh, high, the, the cost of borrowing is at historically high standards. Raising the real question of, well, why, why, is, uh, why is that the case? Very interesting. So just to give you an idea, then, um, what we then do, what I then do in the paper is to say, so what's driving this relatively high uh, yield spread? 
And uh, the way in which I try to approach that is to uh, look at macroeconomic fundamentals. So both for South Africa and the United States. And essentially what I do in the process is to look at uh, economic activity indicators, such as growth and GDP, monetary policy indicators, such as CPI-based inflation rates. I look at fiscal balances, as indicated both by the public debt to GDP ratio and the budget deficit to GDP ratio. I take a look at local asset market conditions, such as private sector debt as a percent of GDP, and then also at foreign exchange market conditions, um, as indicated both by the current account deficit and, uh, and the nominal rand dollar exchange rate, or to be precise, the depreciation in the nominal dollar rand uh, exchange rate. Okay, very no, I'm sorry, that was quite a long-winded answer to, <laughs> to your question. Um, yeah. But that's, that's the question, and that's why, we, why I'm posing the question. Yeah, it's a very valid one, and I think um, those findings look very interesting. Just out of interest, which data did you use for this analysis? Uh, good question. So the, the answer to that is that we looked at uh, publicly available data and official data series, mm -hmm. and uh, we looked at... For, for the South African data, we I sourced data from the South African Reserve Bank Historical uh, Time Series Database, uh, covering the 1960 to 2019 period. U.S. data uh, is, uh, and for that matter, German data is sourced from the Economic Research Division of the Federal Reserve Bank of St. Louis, and uh, we uh, the data that I'm employing then is effectively monthly. Uh, over that time period. So it's relatively high frequency for a macro uh, study, but it has the advantage of being able to pick up a lot of information about the volatility uh, of these series over a very long time period. The cost that I had to pay uh, in order to cover such a long time period was that I had to pay a lot of attention to the characteristics of the data for statistical purposes, but also in particular to take very careful cognizance of the fact that there are, over such a long protracted time periods, lots of structural breaks, different monetary, different fiscal policy regimes, different exchange rate regimes for that matter. And uh, that had to be very carefully controlled for. Now, in the paper, I explain in great detail exactly what I do in, in order to do that. It is a lot of very technical detail, which uh, uh, is uh, relatively boring as a consequence. But nonetheless, <laughs> all I'm wanting to say is I paid a lot of attention to exactly those sorts of details about yeah. uh, the volatility in the data and then the different uh, uh, public policy regimes uh, that affect the, the, the outcomes. Yeah. Well, like I said earlier, this is where we rely on the experts. So um, <laughs> we're grateful for this analysis and all that hard work. And um, so what were the fundamental findings of the paper? You mentioned earlier that you spoke about, well, you looked into growth, inflation, the private and public debt, exchange rate regimes. What can you tell us, um, what was it that drove the behavior in those yields? Sure. So um, the first thing to note is that actually United States macroeconomic fundamentals really don't matter at all. They're never statistically significant. And what that implies, just as a bend, you know, as, as, at the outset, is that the U.S. yield is really serving as a risk-free, safe anchor uh, rate that is an alternative to South African public debt. So the macroeconomic fundamentals don't much influence the differential between South Africa's rate and the United States. 
the United States rate serves as the safe anchor, uh, and the fundamentals don't influence the spread between the US and, and, and South Africa. The South African macroeconomic fundamentals, by contrast, do matter, and they matter a lot. Um, and the broad findings, uh, first of all, are that variables that really do matter and are statistically significant are, first of all, the growth rate of the South African economy, secondly, the South African inflation rate, the ratio of public debt to GDP, the ratio of private sector debt to GDP, and grand depreciation. Those are the five macroeconomic fundamentals that are statistically significant. And I'll explain in a moment by how much. Okay. Um, but there are also some variables which do not matter very much. So what matters is public debt as a ratio of GDP. So the stock variable, not the flow variable of the government deficit as a percentage of GDP. So the year-on-year -year deficit is not really that important, but it's the, the, the net result of the year-on-year -year deficits that build up the stock of government debt relative to GDP. So it's the stock, not the flow, that matters. Secondly, openness, so the ratio of exports and imports to GDP does not matter. Uh, it's not statistically significant. The South African current account deficit as a percentage of GDP does not influence the spread. And what I also looked at in the, the, the nature of the empirical methodology that I used was such that I could explore whether or not the second moment of the, the yield spread influences the first moment. In other words, does the volatility of the yield spread affect the, um, the, the yield spread itself? And there's good reason to suppose that it might. Why? Well, because the yield spread is generally taken as an indication of the risk of lending to the South African government. And the more volatile the yield is, the more risky it is to lend to the South African government. Um, so we, I looked at that quite carefully and explored that in some depth. But in fact, there's very little evidence to suggest that the second moment does exercise an influence on the first. So, which was quite surprising, but nonetheless seems to be fairly robust as an empirical finding. So the question then is obviously, okay, so those are the five things that matter. Those are the five things that don't matter. So by how much the same do things way. That do matter? <laughs> yeah, so, so the question is, so to what extent do the things that matter mm. matter? Um, and that's really this picture here. So I'm looking at the sample period from the 60s through to the, to, to the 2000 and teens. And you can see that it is true that depreciation matters. It is true that inflation matters. And it is true that growth matters. But in relative terms, they are relatively marginal. They do exercise an influence on the yield spread and in exactly the way in which you would, would imagine. So as growth goes up, that lowers the yield spread uh, of South Africa relative to, to the United States. So improving South African growth lowers the yield spread of South African borrowing South African long-term debt to US long-term debt. Higher inflation, on the other hand, I mean, expands the yield spread, increases the yield spread. And similarly, uh, depreciation also increases the yield spread. So it works in exactly the way in which you would expect, but it's relatively marginal in terms of the actual impact that it has on the cost of borrowing. The two variables that are really, really important are the asset market variables. So it's the public debt as a proportion of GDP and private debt as a proportion of GDP that are the most important variables that in, de in determining the yield spread. And of the two that matter most, it is undoubtedly public debt that is the mm -hmm. dominant variable. You can see that 
the oh. contribution to the yield spread that we actually observe is dominated is by the green part of the uh, of the graph, and that's public debt. It's contributing the vast preponderance of the yield spread. So wow. why is the cost of borrowing so high in South Africa? Well, the answer is because the um, it, it, the answer is because the uh, South African government has been running large uh, deficits uh, uh, on uh, on its expenditure accounts, and as a consequence, it's been driving up the level of public debt relative to GDP, and that has driven up the yield spread. Very interesting. What an interesting paper. So what would you say are the implications then for monetary and fiscal policy and the policy environment in general? Um, sure. Um, so if, to look at the, the implications then, so just to recap what we found, we look at the yield spread between South Africa and US long-term government debt. It's at levels that we last saw in the 1980s. And what we find, it's been driven by growth, inflation, government debt as a proportion of GDP, private debt as a proportion of GDP and RAND depreciation in South Africa. And the uh, policy inferences are, that follow from that are, first of all, that the reason the yield spread is so high is because of the magnitude of borrowing on the part of the South African government. The fact that they've been running large deficits, particularly over the last 10 years, has been driving up the yield spread to, historically, uh, to historical highs, essentially the levels that we saw back in the 1980s. So essentially, the reason we're seeing such a high yield spread is because the public sector has been borrowing uh, extensively. You can see that while the private sector is contributing to the cost of borrowing, the, the, the contribution has been relatively constant over time. Mm -hmm. So, yes, it contributes, but it hasn't been constituting a rising proportion of the cost for that borrowing. It's really the public sector that's been driving up the cost of borrowing uh, and the yield spread. So, the, uh, this gives us an opportunity to actually just cycle back to the, the question that I originally started with, which is, why is, so is there, fiscal, is there space for the fiscus to expand expenditure in South Africa? And we noted right at the outset that the answer to that question is really no, that there is no, uh, there is no indication that the necessary condition for an expansion of fiscal expenditure to have positive welfare impacts on the economy, that that necessary condition is, is, is being met. So we don't meet that criterion. It raises the question of, well, why not? And the answer to that question, the, the answer to that question is really because we've already exhausted the space. We've already expend so much through the fiscus that we have already driven up the cost of cost of borrowing to such an extent that we no longer meet the necessary criteria for an expansion of fiscal expenditure so mm -hmm. this um this uh, the so we in, in, a, in a bizarre way we've actually cycled back to the initial question that i started with of is there an expand uh, as, uh, an opportunity for expanding fiscal expenditure? The answer to that is no, we don't meet the necessary criterion for the, the impact to be able to have positive welfare impacts. And the reason for that is because we've already done it. We've spent as much as we can uh, in that space. And by the way, it doesn't stop there. There's actually a secondary effect, and that is that the, um, the it's not only that the taxpayer is now forced to pay historical highs for the cost of borrowing on the part of government. But in addition to that, the high um, yields in South Africa 
drive up interest rates across the market for the private sector as well as the public sector. The private sector is competing with the public sector for loanable funds. And because the public sector has, has been borrowing so aggressively, it's driven up the cost of borrowing not only for the public sector, but for the private sector too. And that means that effectively we are facing a situation where we are likely to have crowd out of private sector investment expenditure and capital stock. And by crowding out investment and capital stock, the additional consequence then is that it actually lowers the growth performance of the South African economy. Oh, wow. And if you take a look at the trend growth rate of South Africa, it is going ever lower. And so one of the contributing factors to that ever declining structural capacity of the South African economy to grow is that the public sector is crowding out the private sector in terms of its capacity to borrow in order to invest in capital stock. Wow, that is very interesting. And recently we've had a very large fiscal stimulus because of the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm sure this must have also had an impact on that leeway we have. Sure. I mean, what, what that means is effectively that um, it's, it's, if anything, it's driven up the yield spreads even higher because public sector borrowing has increased yet further. And in fact, I mean, this is in a sense a, 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 a useful salutary warning lesson in the sense that um, if you do not practice uh, a prudent fiscal policy, in times when in times that are relatively good you, if you do not create a fiscal space in order to be able to expand fiscal expenditure you are going to pay a very significant cost when the time comes that you actually do need to engage in expansionary in expansionary fiscal activity it's very um it, i don't think it's 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 really uh very questionable that there is scope at the moment for expansionary fiscal policy but unfortunately by not practicing fiscal prudence over the last 10 years the amount of capacity that we have is that fiscal expansion is thereby significantly curtailed um it could be either at very high borrowing costs to the south african taxpayer and ultimately it's the taxpayer who has to pay this cost of borrowing uh, either at very high cost to, to the southern taxpayer, or you simply can't do very much uh, by responding through the through the fiscus. Mm, very interesting. I think this this research is very valuable to policymakers and anyone who's interested. It affects us all, and um, definitely has some very important key takings. Is there anything else you would like to add and tell our listeners? Um, not really at the moment. I mean, I think that um, there are certainly some ways in which one can extend the research uh, by looking at, uh, for instance, the differential in the cost of borrowing in RAND and the, the, uh, and the cost of borrowing in either euros or, or dollar-denominated assets. But um, implicitly, we've already, I've already controlled for that by controlling for the, the RAND dollar depreciation rate. But there are certainly some opportunities to look at that and also by looking at more detailed um, uh, differentials in different classes of assets. So at different maturity rates, uh, potentially, um, that might also be interesting to, to examine. So uh, there are potential ex extensions uh, to the work um, that uh, perhaps lie sometime in the future. Great. Well, we'd love to hear about them when they happen. Thank you very much for All your right, time, Professor. <laughs> Thank okay. you very much. Thank you. We appreciate having the opportunity to have you here. And also, thank you to our listeners. 
And remember, for more on this research, as well as any details regarding upcoming seminars, please see our website and social media platforms. This is your host, Margot G from the Ursa podcast series. Till next time.